0: And this passage will show to us um, a something of a... I like to refer to it as a, as a holy giddiness, a happiness, a rejoicing, a joyful sense of prayers long offered, now answered. And that's exactly what's happening in this psalm, in Psalm 126. If you read the psalm, if you look at it, you'll notice what the psalmist says. When the, me, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion... We were like them the dream. And what the psalmist is speaking about is that on that time, in that day, when God answered the prayers of people in captivity and he returned the nation to the land, it was as if pent-up prayers for a generation were now being answered in a moment. And because of that, there was great happiness. As I said before, something of a holy giddiness that these people had, the people of God rejoicing in what God had done. I'm here to say to you this morning that in this past week, the prayers of a generation have been answered. And in this past week, I have a holy happiness, a giddiness about me that relates to the fact that the abomination that is known as abortion by way of its funding, by way of its public sanction, by way of its perceived uh, constitutional right has been taken away. And it's a cause for rejoicing. It's a great day of blessedness for the people of God and for the church of Jesus Christ. God has heard the prayers of Christians being offered up for nearly 50 years. And they've been answered in this week. Now we understand and we know that abortion as, a, as, a, as an activity has not gone away. But now there is no longer, again, what we might say, a federal sanction for it. And for that, we ought to be happy. We ought to be just like this people of Israel, who on the day that their prayers were answered, felt as though it was a dream. That's how glorious it was that these prayers were answered. And so again, what I want to do is I want to I engage you this morning from this passage of Scripture. And I want you to see a number of things in this passage of Scripture. I want you to see, again, from this passage of Scripture that... That as, as a church and as individuals, we should rejoice unreservedly at the answer of prayers long offered up to God. When long prayers are now finally answered, it should give us rejoicing. It should, again, remove from us, remove from us any, kind of a, any kind of restraint by way of our, our rejoicing. God has done something great, and God is to be greatly praised because of that. Oh, I thank God that this day is upon us. I must admit that in the past, I never thought that this day would come, but here it is. And we thank God for that. And I hope to address uh, uh, the the, the whole uh, maybe mindset I might say here this morning, because I realize when I say these things, although don't get me wrong, because right now is not the time for nuance and reservation. It's not the time to to kind of curtail, uh, curtail statements. Right now is a time of rejoicing, but things have to be said, and we'll address that as I go on. But I want, what I want you to see again here from this passage of Scripture, from what we see in this text, let's read the text again, again together. Psalm 126, verses 1 through 6. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. Then they said among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again, our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy, and he that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Again, the proposition, the doctrine that I want to set before you is this, the Christian should unreservedly rejoice at the answer of prayers that have long been offered up to God. Well, many of you know that for the past nearly 50 years, Abortion was the law of the land. And while there are many things that could be said, and as I said before, I'm not going to nuance my sermon this morning. There are many things that could be said, but I just want to set before you again this wonderful fact that God has heard the prayers of a generation. For 50 years, Christians have been praying, supplicating, beseeching God that this blight upon our land would be removed. And here we are in this day where by way of its federal sanction, it is no longer upon us. How we thank God for that. And I think this psalm is very appropriate. It's appropriate for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the joy and the happiness. As I said before, almost the giddiness of the, uh, of the, of the psalmist in this passage of scripture. There is genuinely a joy. Did you get what he said here? There in verse one, when the Lord brought back the ca- our captivity, again, we rejoice it was like those who dream. Listen, um, uh, how one translation puts it. When, when the Lord brought back the captives who returned to Zion. We were like those who dream. It seemed so unreal. It seemed unreal that these prayers would be answered. And so here again, as I said before, the Christian should unreservedly rejoice at the answers of prayer that have been long offered up to God. What I want to do is I want to use this passage of Scripture to kind of address not only our situation, I want to expound the word of God to you. And I want you to see from the Word of God, and particularly in regard to prayers being offered up, in regard to prayer, I want you to know and understand from this passage of Scripture that sometimes answered prayer is like a dream come true. Have you ever had prayers like that answered? Like a dream come true. There it was. You were, again, beseeching God. You were pouring your soul out before God. And then God in His own perfect timing answered. It was like a dream come true. It's exactly what the text of Scripture says. The second thing I want you to see from this text of Scripture is that, uh, is that answered prayer is always a great thing. Did you notice that in verses 2 and 3? Even the heathen said God has done great things for them. The people of God said that God has done great things. And then thirdly, I want you to see that answered prayer, answered prayer is always the basis for further prayer. And we see that in the text as well. We see even in this text in verse 4, the offering up, the uttering of a prayer that God would carry on the work that, he's, that, he, that he has begun. And so by the grace of God, I I hope to set all of these things here before you this morning. Now, again, let me read what I have by way of my notes so I can catch up here. The joy that is captured in this psalm is an expression over, over that which was once seemed impossible. The people of Israel were in that land of Babylon, that harsh land of Babylon, where again, if we read, I believe it's in Psalm 137, uh, you see the expression, how can we play our harps by the river of Babylon? Again, we are so weighed down with our captivity. But again, here in this situation, they are now being returned. Even though there were clear and solid promises through Jeremiah and the ministry of Daniel, that's why our brother read from Daniel 9 this morning. Did you catch that passage of scripture where Daniel said, I began to understand by the reading of the books that God had decreed 70 years, oh, oh, the use of scripture in understanding the day in which we live. You see, this prophet, again, this prophet Daniel, knew that he could look into the word and find insight into the day in which God had called him. And it's the same for us today. And my point that I want you to understand is this. Even though there were clear and solid promises through, again, Jeremiah and the ministry of Daniel, yet the actual return from captivity seemed too good to be true. So great was their joy that they counted it again as something like a dream being finally manifested. And I want you to see, I want you to know, I want you to understand that the point that I'm trying to make here is this. The people even in captivity had a great reason to trust God in their circumstances. Does that resonate with you in any way, shape, or form? That there are promises that God has for you bound up in his word that speak to your circumstances and you can stand on those promises and though those prayers be offered up for maybe a generation, God will bring to pass his will for your life. And when it comes to break in upon you, the glory of his the, the glory of his nature, the light of his countenance upon you. Oh, it's like a dream come true. It's interesting because when we look at this psalm and we see it in its historical context, it was set at a time when Israel was being brought in the, back into the land. And I'm 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 purposely emphasizing the joy that's expressed in this psalm because it would have been very easy, and we can we can easily perceive people that would, rather than rejoice, have a number of reasons for concern. We're going back. Thank you, Amaya. (laughs) We're going back to to Jerusalem. We're going back to Jerusalem. And and how are we going to accomplish the work there? We don't have sufficient resources. The the work uh, by way of the finances, who's going to supply them? And what about the opposition that are, from the people that are there in the land? Oh, it's too risky. Maybe we should just stay. And there were those who stayed in Babylon rather than going back to the, to, to, to the land of Israel. And so the point that I want you to see and understand is that, the, is that the psalmist doesn't focus on all the reasons why they shouldn't return. He rejoices in the fact that God has brought them back, God has brought them back. And I'm saying to you that there are times, yes, we understand we can nuance things. We understand we can bring in all the different elements that need to be considered. We can understand that there are are consequences that we cannot even perceive. We understand all that. Oh, but when there is a time for rejoicing, the people of God ought to rejoice. You see, a generation of prayers have been answered, and we as the people of God ought to be rejoicing. Ezra and Nehemiah record how difficult and how great the opposition was to, rebuilding, uh, re- to the rebuilding of Jerusalem and how difficult the task was. But on this day... And in this song, the only thing that was proper for the people of God was a giving of thanks for what was once seemed impossible, a holy rejoicing over the power of God in accomplishing His stated will in Scripture, a holy rejoicing, even a sanctified giddiness uh, that would have been uh, that would have been a provocation to the Israel's of enemy to the to, to the, uh, to the uh, enemies of Israel. Well, today is such a day. God has answered nearly 50 years of praying that abortion will come to an end. And while abortion has not ended with this decision of the court, it, is no, it no longer has the sanction of federal law. This means that 3,000 souls each day will be giving the blessing or have the opportunity for the blessing of life. This means that 125 babies per hour will be able to feel their mother's warm embrace. This means as a nation, we will not be directly responsible before God for the willful taking of approximately a million lives per year. In nearly 50 50 years, over 62 million abortions have been performed in this land. And so when we come to a day like this in our national history, when we come to a passage of scripture like this, it brings me back to my proposition, my doctrine. The Christian should rejoice unreservedly at the answer of the the prayers that have long been offered up to God. Let me say something else here because as I was going through my previous notes uh, of sermons, I realized that back in October of 2020, I had preached a sermon on abortion from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. And... Hopefully I'll find the, what I have here and wouldn't it be. And so and, and so let me read what I what I what I read to you that day. On january twenty second, nineteen seventy three, the US Supreme Court struck down every state anti abortion law through two rulings, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton. Since then, 55 million, this was written in, uh, in 2013. Since then, 55 million babies have been aborted in the United States alone. And one of the things that I go, go on to say about this whole matter of abortion was that the first thing I wanted to say in that sermon, even before I began the sermon proper, was to say that one of the first things that we need to be aware of is that when it comes to this matter of abortion, That there is forgiveness for that sin. If some of us, some of you, have in any way been implicated or part of abortion, you need to know that there is great grace that God offers. That God himself freely forgives all who look to him through faith in Jesus Christ. And in a very real sense, you need to hear that. You need to be assured of that. You need to know, again, that there is in the very nature of God everything by way, his purpose to receive sinners to himself. No sin too great in this regard. No barrier between you and God. There is the blood of Jesus Christ that takes care of all and any sin. You see, again, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how this sermon affects you this morning. I don't know if you're listening to this sermon saying, why is this guy talking about politics? I don't know if you're listening to this sermon this morning saying, I wish this guy would talk about politics more often. I don't know if you're listening to this sermon saying, why abortion? Why now? I've had enough of it all week. I want you to know, again, in one sense, we have to speak to these things. In another sense, this is a cause for rejoicing. But in, a, in an even a more important sense, you need to know that with God, there is plenteous redemption. And there is forgiveness for all those who look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. So again, the Christians should rejoice. The outline we're going to follow once again is that answered prayer is sometimes like a dream come true. And that's our first point. So let's take a look at that. I do find it very interesting. I'm kind of taken up with the language here. Uh, not only as we see it there in the, in the King James, when the Lord turned again the captivity, captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. And as I read before from the Amplified Version, it reads this way, when the Lord brought back the captives who returned to Zion, we were like those who dreamed that seemed so unreal. That's how great this answer of prayer was. And as I said before, there's reason for you and I to be rejoicing in this matter of what's happened in this past week. The other thing I made mention of and I want you to be aware of is that what I find very interesting is a challenge to us because we're kind of in the same situation. But the interesting thing is this. The people of Israel in captivity had every reason to pray in the fullness of faith and with great assurance that God would do exactly what he, what, what he promised to do that God would accomplish everything that he, that he purposed. As a matter of fact, this is in one sense such a, such a gripping kind of reality, and it's so settled in our thinking when we look back from the perspective of history that we say about the people of Israel, how did they miss that? We say it all the time, right, when we talk about them in the, in, the, in the wilderness wanderings, all those miracles, how could they not believe God? All the gracious activity of God, how could they not believe God? And I would say in regard to this song, all the promises that God had made, how could they not believe God? And I could say to each and every one of us and to myself, all the promises that God has made to me, to you, to us, and we fail to believe God, we fail to take a stand on his word, we get caught short. And I have to admit, I was speaking with my, my, my brother last night, and I said, you know what? I wasn't one of those guys that was saying for the last... Well, yeah, at least of my, of my Christian experience, the, the last almost what, 35 years or so, you watch, abortion's gonna be overturned. I wasn't that guy. I don't know if you were. If you were, I commend you for it. You had faith enough to see what God's able to do. But I want you to know and I want you to understand that in this experience of the people of God and by way of the promises that were made to the people of Israel, they had every right to expect that God would answer prayer. And you had that right as well. There are exceedingly great and precious promises that God has made to each and every one of us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, I want to exhort you, I want to encourage you, stand on those promises. You say, well, what about the difficulties? There'll be difficulties. But there is no spiritual victory apart from spiritual battles. And if you engage yourself in the work of the Lord, in the things that God has called you to, resting on the promises that God has made, again, God will bring you into these things. And this will be your experience as well. That you can rejoice again; that God is hearing and answering your prayers. Listen to some of the promises that had gone before the people of God, as they uh, before they even went into captivity. In Jeremiah chapter twenty-nine, verse fourteen, uh, uh, God says through the prophet, "I will be found of you," saith the Lord, "and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations." He says it again in chapter thirty. Uh, uh, verse 3 for lo the days come saith the Lord that I will bring again the captivity of Israel uh, chapter 33 again I will cause the captivity of Israel to return it goes on and on Amos chapter 9 verse uh, 14 and I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and drink wine thereof and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them what am I saying I'm saying that Israel had every right to stand on the promises that God had made and you and I do as well. There are promises to the church of Jesus Christ. There are promises to the people of God. And will we engage life? Will we engage everything that goes on around us not having our feet firmly planted on the word of God and looking at a situation like this in this past week to say this, oh yes, my God does answer prayer. And that's exactly what I want you to see here this morning. So the first thing I want you to see is that prayers long offered up when they are answered sometimes seem like a dream come true. Have any dreams come true lately for you, brothers and sisters? I hope that they have. And I would say to you this, by by way of this past week, this is is a dream come true. Again, much more can be said there. I'm not going to nuance my sermon this morning. I'm leaving it at that. The second thing I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is this, is that answered prayer is always a great thing. Answered prayer is always a great thing. You see that there in verses two and three of the passage of scripture? Notice what we have here. Uh, Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Look uh, Look at verse three. The Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. And I want you to see, I want you to know and understand that the answering of prayer is always a great thing. Oh, mark it when God answers your prayers. Look at it in a special way when God hears you. Again, make mental note, make a spiritual note that God has heard you that day. God has been pleased to be glorified in your situation by the answering of his pra- by the answering of your prayer. And again, this is something that we that we see. Again, the, the greatness of it. And I want you to again just focus on what Daniel did there in that ninth chapter of Daniel. Daniel read in the word of God that God had determined a certain time of captivity. And he, he, he planted everything on that, as it were. And it's the same for us in prayer. What makes prayer effective? It's not our own righteousness. Did you hear in that prayer that Daniel offered there, as Bob was reading in Daniel chapter 9, do it for thy name's sake, do it for thy glory. Oh, the beauty, the wonder, the, the, the preciousness of praying, of, of praying and asking God to hear your prayer for his name's sake. Work, Lord God, for thy glory. Work for the exaltation of your name. Work that Jesus Christ might be more and more exalted. You see, again, and so so oftentimes, God's God's glory is bound up in showing goodness to his people. Oh, what a way to pray. That the good that God intends for me, for you, for his church, is is all bound up in the expression of giving glory to him. And so Daniel there is praying, again, based on the word of God. As I said before, that not only is prayer a, a great thing whenever it's answered, sometimes prayer is given in very difficult and even strenuous situations and it is accompanied by great, by great effort. I think again that passage I made reference to in Psalm 137 their people of Israel were there in captivity, and, in the, and their captors were taunting them. And they were saying the following, They, uh, uh, you know, they, were, they were saying the, uh, the following, play us, a, play us one of those songs from Zion. Let us hear those songs. And, and, and the people of Israel responded, By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, we wept, and when we remembered Zion, we hanged our harps upon the wall upon the walls, in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing one of the songs of Zion. And the response was, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And you may have felt that you live in a strange land recently. And you may think, well, how can I sing praises to God? Well, here you are. What did you do this morning? You, you, you sang again to the glory. When morning gilds the sky, my voice awakening rise. Let Jesus Christ be praised. Again, that great song, Rescue the Perishing. Oh, the perishing are not only those whose souls are in danger. In our context today, the perishing are those whose very lives were in danger in the very place where they should have been the most protected. Rescue the perishing, you see. And so again, here, is the, here are these prayers being offered up, even in difficult times when they are in captivity. Well, in this passage of Scripture, as I said before, the answer of prayer is always a great thing. Did you see the language that the psalmist uses there? He says, our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with singing. Even the heathen had to say that the Lord had done great things among them. And what I want you to see and what I want you to understand, in one sense, it's so unlike our Christian sensibilities. But I want you to see and I want you to understand when God Manifest and when God, to use the language of Scripture, makes bare his holy arm, Christian rejoice. Christian sing. Christian glorify God. His great might is being seen, displayed in the answering of prayer. And so again, their mouths were filled with laughter, their tongue with singing. Even the heathen understood that God had done great things. Now I want you to understand something here. I want you to be aware of this. That this deliverance from captivity was absolutely, from beginning to end, the the, the manifest power of God. There's no two ways about it. But when we read the scripture, one of the things that we also find out is that not only was it, or it absolutely was the manifest power of God, but we find that within the manifest power of God, human, human instrumentality was used. Human instrumentality was used. So those of you who know your Old Testament history know that Cyrus was the great world leader at that time. And God raised up Cyrus, didn't he? And it was Cyrus. Listen to this passage of Scripture from Ezra, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven and earth hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all this people? His God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem, and whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of His place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with peace to beside free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. There was human instrumentality in the deliverance of Israel. Well you need to hear this? I mean to be I don't mean to be arrogant in any sense of the word, but you need to hear this. There was human instrumentality in the overturning of Roe versus Wade there was President Trump and his appointing of justices. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I hope that you have heard in weeks past my respectful mentioning of our current president, President Biden. I hope you have heard me, again, sincerely offer prayers for him, to offer prayers that God might use him, that God might bring necessary adjustment, never a demeaning of the office of the man, in in like fashion, we must be able from the perspective of scripture to look back and say that there was a human instrument that was used in the overturning of that court decision. And that human instrument was in a very real way our previous president, President Trump. I know there are mixed feelings about uh, 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 the former president. And I'm not going to get into all those right now. But it would be wrong, for, just like it would be wrong for me not to pray for the current president, it would be wrong for me not to mention the former president and the instrumentality that he, that he had in overturning this court decision, Roe v. Wade. God uses human instrumentation. God uses human means. And because of this, it would be wrong for me not to mention that here this morning. So again, prayer is sometimes like a dream come true. Prayer is always a great thing when we see it. Prayer answered is like a dream come true. Uh, Prayer answered is always a great thing. But the next thing I want you to see from this psalm is that prayer answered is always the basis for further prayer. Notice in verse 4 here. Notice what the psalmist says. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as in the streams of the south. Now this might be somewhat confusing at first, but this is what I want you to know and understand. In this passage of scripture, in this verse, what the psalmist is doing, the psalmist is praying that the work of God in return would continue to go forward. In other words, and I don't mean no pun here, uh, in other words i 'll well, use this word in other words, that the work of God would not be short uh, circuited I was going to say would not be aborted i don 't mean the pun, but, but you understand what I mean that sometimes a work of God begun sometimes is never completed in, 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 in the churches in, in the churches of, of, of Sardis, remember what our Lord said by way of his critique of that church, I have not found my works perfect i e complete in my sight. There were works that were only half done for God. And so the psalmist now having, if I can say it this way, having the wind of God at his back and the sails fully unfur- unfurled is now praying that God would continue the work, that he would continue the work of reformation, that he would continue the work of revival, that the work that God has ordained would go on. And this is what we need to be engaging in ourselves as well. Yes, God has done a significant thing, a great thing I would say to you, but the work is not done. When all is said and done, it's not the overturning of laws that make a difference. When all is said and done, unless men and women, boys and girls are converted, what will a law do, other than be, uh, other than be a, a, a mark? Which some people will say, oh, was that the law that I'm not supposed to break? Well, how about that? And that's the way human nature is. You know, say to human nature, uh, say to a person that such and such a thing shouldn't be done. There's something in man, by way of his fallenness, that actually goes against that thing. So, what am I saying? Oh, there's a great work that needs to be done. Part of that great work isn't just seeking to bring about political reform. That great work is bringing about true, a true spiritual awakening and revival. That spiritual work that needs to be good, that needs to continue to go on, is to be again, if if, if I can say it this way, something of a something of a safety net, something of a a something of a of a of a place of 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 respite for those who may be dealing with very difficult decisions concerning a life that is in them. And are we going to say in, 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 in this present context, well, that's not my problem, the law was overturned, or are we going to say, no, come, come here. We'll do for you whatever we can. We'll assist you in whatever, whatever way we can. You see, the work has to go on. The law means nothing in one sense. We thank God for it because it makes us stand as to who and what we are before Almighty God. Oh, but hearts must need to be changed, you see. And when, this, and when the psalmist prays on, turn again our, our, our captivity, O Lord, as, the, as, as in the streams of the south, he is praying that the work of God will continue on. And again, by way of this going on of the work of God, let's not think that this is impossible. Can we, can, would, would, would we purposely hamstring ourselves on a day like today and say, yes, we were able to win? I don't even say we, but yes, there was a political victory won. But all oh, the work of the work of converting souls and the, and the work of a spiritual awakening and the work of a real true revival within the churches of Jesus Christ. Well, that, well that's, you know, I don't know if God can do that. Are we going to go there on a day like today? Or are we not going to stand again on the promises of God and say, Lord, revive thy work. In the midst of the years, again, do the great work of mercy. Again, I think of just so many different ways of... of I'm approaching this in so many different ways of, of how God just assures us of these things. Oh, let us look to God to do all that he's promised to, all that he's promised to do. You might remember that I've said this in the past. And oh, this is, I know this is irritating. I'm not trying to be irritating at all. But I know for some, I don't think anybody here, but, but for some this would be so irritating. You've heard me say this. You know that the greatest political reality, the greatest political reality that humanity will live under is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. That's politics. It's not just politics. But Christ shall rule and reign. We spoke in weeks past, just a couple weeks ago, remember about this whole idea of of crowning Christ as Lord over all in the face of a a hostile culture. Remember that little phrase we used? It's not original with me. It's kind of a popular phrase in one sense. Christ over all (laughs) earthly powers. And there is upon the return of Jesus Christ. How is that going to happen? Are we going to set it up? No, I don't think that we are. I think Christ in his glory, he's going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom. The greatest political reality that humanity will live under is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over the kingdoms of this world. And so again... We pray and we continue to pray. What do we pray for? We pray for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that his work would go on in our lives and in our churches. We ask again that God would do again the very things that he has promised to do. One more thing I want you to see here again is that this, well, actually, two more things I want you to see here in, this, uh, in, in, the, in these last verses. Notice here in verse, uh, in verse 5, the, the answering of these prayers remind us that praying not only still has to continue to go on, but look in verse 5, sometimes that praying, yes, still must take place in the context of tears and in the context of weeping. Oh, there are weeping prayers, you see. There are crying prayers. Look there at verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And then just lastly here in verse 6, I want you to see this. That in this last point, look here at verse 6. He that goeth forth in weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Answered prayer sets the foundation for confidence in future prayer. Oh, will you on this day of no other day, will you pray with confidence before God that prayers long offered up, even prayers offered up over a generation, will be heard by God Almighty, will be answered to His glory? This is our sermon here this morning. This is this is what the Word of God, how it speaks to us. This idea that it's just not a a, a political kind of speech. I I I would not use the the, the the pulpit of, of this church for that. Oh, but when these things are brought together, you see. When these great when the when when a great spiritual victory is is, is won and noted, we should be rejoicing in that. So how do we apply everything that we've heard here in this Psalm? Well I want to have a I want to set before you a number of applications. Number one, I want to restate as I said before, that this moment this is a moment to rejoice in what God has done with this decision of the court. a true true social and spiritual evil has been curtailed. It hasn't been removed, but it's been curtailed. And for that, we should be thankful. Secondly, we should take this moment to resolve to be persistent in our pleading with God for our nation. There are so many other social ills that we face, and some of them originate in the church, or at least are sanctioned by the church. Oh, let us pray for a holy church. Thirdly, and I say this with as much caution and care and tenderness as I can. What if you were here and you think that the decision of the court was, was wrong or was too risky, quote unquote. If you think that the decision was too risky. Let me say this, and this is important to hear. There are, there are elements in society that will say anything is too risky if it stops Political agenda that is determined to bring itself to bear in society. What am I trying to say? Let me just put it as bluntly as I can. There are people who would much rather see this country, this nation in shambles, than to see this country under, again, biblical principles. And so, why am I saying that? Because I want you to understand no matter where you draw the line for Christ and culture today, Somebody's going to say it's too risky. If you oppose abortion, what's too risky? Look at what's happening. Are we going to have to 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 be concerned about the church, the physical well-being of those who are inside? Are things going to happen again uh, uh, by way of vandalism? Oh, it's too risky, you see. Don't be provocative. Oppose homosexual marriage. And people will say, well, it's too risky. Why, call, why? 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 kick that bear? Why stir that pot? Why? 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 Uh, why uh, shake that, that that beehive? Oppose transgenderism. Oh, too risky, you see. Oppose unbridled greed and uh, unbridled and oppressive greed. Oh, too risky, you see. We can't do that. Is that the case? In an environment where the where where the heathen, the unconverted. In many cases, those who hate God will always be raging against Christ, Psalm 2, and his kingdom. Any stand for Christ will be too risky. You understand? You understand? Your spiritual opponents, your political opponents, will use too risky to push you into a corner to where they just freely do whatever they want. And that's really what you see going on. Let the answer to nearly 50 years of praying deepen your resolve to continue praying my last point of application is this. What if you're here and you think abortion should be a protected right? Can I ask you to think about this from the perspective of the most vulnerable in this discussion, the unborn? Shouldn't the rights, shouldn't the rights be granted to the weakest and most dependent? Isn't this the true prophetic cry of quote-unquote a social prophet? Read in Scripture over and over again where God speaks about executing judgment for the oppressed. Read over and over again in the Scripture where we see God, see God being a refuge for the oppressed. Read in Scripture where you have that mother of King Lemuel, maybe Solomon there. Read as you see her saying to her son who has within his power the authority of the kingdom and the authority of the state. Read what she says to him. Open thy mouth for the dumb the cause of all such that are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth and judge righteously. Plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Who is more unable to speak in our society today than the unborn? Who is in a more vulnerable place in our society today than the unborn? Who needs the protection of rights and and, and, and the engagement of the state by way of its authority to say certain things should be done and certain things should not be done? And so in the discussion of rights, let's not take our eyes off of those who are most vulnerable. It isn't individuals who had opportunities. In most cases, there are horrible things that happen. I get it. I understand it. But in most cases, again, the most vulnerable, the greatest victim there, the potential victim, the potential victim is that baby in the womb. So today is a day of rejoicing for what God has done. I must admit, I never thought I would see the day when Roe versus Wade would be overturned. How foolish of me not to think that God would would not hear the prayers of his people on behalf of the unborn. It was foolish, it was unbelieving. I should have stood on the great promises of God. I should have taken my stand with God against the world as it were. How foolish of me would it be not to continue to pray for that which seems to be impossible, a true spiritual awakening in our land and a revival of this church and in, the, in every true gospel preaching church. Our Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do give you thanks on this day. And we ask and we pray that by your spirit and through the power that you give to your people, that you would increase your work among us. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, bring about righteousness, first in, your, first in us and then in your church and then in, and then in your land. Do it for thy great name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.